0: hey hey! hello and welcome again to another hot sheet podcast by now you know the drill it's jeff in massachusetts josh in north carolina and we're gonna be talking uh, ostensibly about this week's hot sheet but mostly about prospects you know, uh what's been going on around uh the sport what's been going on in our slack what's what the actual hot sheet look like uh, a, a smorgasbord of minor league baseball related topics and you know to kick it off this week we'll go with uh the number one guy on our uh, our number one pitcher on our hot sheet number two guy that is the great the esteemed wonder andrew painter uh who has run his scoreless inning streak to 26 which is pretty darn remarkable on its own self but for a young man who's you know uh, i think 12 months uh maybe 13 months from signing as a pro 15 months ago he was probably in high school, you know, getting turning in his finals, and now he's in double A shoving. Uh his season has been remarkable just about any way you look at it. What your I mean we talked about this guy last week. What are your thoughts on him, Jeff?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you saw the performance this weekend. Um he came out and like, you know, honestly throughout that start on Sunday, um he was he was pretty much in control of Portland, which not like a a crazy lineup, but it's, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, Raphael is in that lineup. Cavadis who, you know, continues to impress is in that lineup, you know, Hamilton, a few other guys. Um, They're guys, you know, that have performed. Um, There's a fair amount of, you know, prospect prospect prospecty type of players in that lineup. So it wasn't, you know, the easiest, uh, the easiest run out there, but you know, he got to wear the hot dog Jersey and the hot dog hat, which I guess he was excited about. And, you know, just went out there and just like early on was dominating with the high fastball. Um, and then just, you know, mixes in the secondaries, you saw the curveball, you saw the slider, you saw him stealing strikes. Um, you could tell that, you know, he was changing eye levels. Well, um, I think it's always something I noticed when, when a pitcher is really attacking well vertically high and then, and then low with the breaking ball or a change up. Um, did you start to see hitters the second time through sort of freeze up on that breaking ball? And you saw that a couple of times where, uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was Hamilton, but don't, don't quote me on this. I think it was Hamilton. He froze him up on a curve ball and like, he kind of like wanted to argue with the ump for a second. Like <laughs> kind of shook his head because like it was dead, it was dead center. It was like middle, middle, but like he, he obviously wasn't seeing it well. And I think, you know, That's the thing that that Painter has gone for him. I wrote up a little bit for the Best Tools um, content we have coming in the magazine. I I think some of it will probably end up online as well. Um, But talking about Andrew Painter um, and Painter uniquely just, you know, I try to go through, find a particular prospect that that we're writing about in Best Tools and and find something unique that he does really well, even in comparison to major leaguers. And um, here's a factoid I'll throw out there about Painter. He has over 18 inches of induced vertical break. Um, if you don't know what induced vertical break is, that is the, if, if there was zero gravity and everything sort of went to zero, if it went in a completely straight line, if you threw a baseball, um, his would rise by about 18 inches over that sort of net zero uh, without gravity. So got a lot of hop on his fastball. There's very few guys that have that level of hop that combine it with his level of power Velocity. He averages over 96 miles per hour. That's on the entirety of his fastballs this season. It's well over 800 fastballs. And we go and we take a look at qualified pitchers in the major leagues who average 96 miles per hour and over 18 inches of induced vertical break. There is only two pitchers among starters that have those characteristics. That's Garrett Cole and Dylan Cease. And uh, I think that says it all. Like if you're in that company when you're throwing that many fastballs, the sample size is bigger. Obviously, the more you throw a fastball, typically the less results you have. So I think that speaks really highly to the quality of what Painter's throwing out there. He's getting whiffs against it. He's getting bad contact. And a big reason for that is his combination of velocity as well as induced vertical breaker movement.
0: And, you know, one thing also that sticks out about him, and it's less analytical, but it's a a crazy fact. Since 2006 there have been, excluding Painter, five pitchers who are high school pitchers who were selected in the first round who made it to double A in their first full pro season. And it's a pretty good list. Uh, Forrest Whitley, who was on a really good track until a lot of things went wrong for him. Dylan Bundy, beset by injuries, but a big leaguer for a long time. Chad Billingsley, a big leaguer for a long time. And here's where it really gets good. Zach Greinke and Clayton Kershaw. That's since 2006 and now Andrew Painter makes it a half dozen guys who've done that, which is, you know, any, any way you slice that, that's really remarkable. And, you know, I'm glad this, glad that we, the, the noise we heard early in the season that he was separating himself from the rest of the, the pack or most of the rest of the pack uh, has, has borne fruit. And he's clearly shown to be one of the very best pitching prospects in the game. And certainly Worthy of the number two spot on the hot sheet this week, um, which I'm sure is the best accolade he's going to get all year. Then we'll move down the list a little further. Um, you know, Sal Frelick, he's another guy who's been promoted twice this year. Brewers outfielder, he's in AAA, and uh, they're playing at Durham this year, or this this year, this <laughs> week with their their nasty outfield of Sal Frelick, Joey Weimer, and Garrett Mitchell and Estuary Ruiz, all in the same outfield. Also, that team. Has five active catchers and two on the IL, which is kind of nuts. Wow. But that's an aside. Uh, Freelick was, you know, started the year in high A and has made it all the way to double A, triple A. And in his first 17 games, he's got 10 multi hit contests. And I think his last five have been multi hit games. It's like four, three, and then three twos or something like that. Yeah. Uh, So he's making contact at a pretty prodigious rate and getting the results that are, that have come along with it uh the brewers interestingly enough i'm sure this is a little bit of a a quirk but didn't take a single outfielder in this year's draft which i'm surprised I, that you don't see that very often outside of the angels last year who took all pitchers but uh they've got some outfield prospects coming you know those three guys i just mentioned plus ruiz and there's this this 18 year old in their hot their lower levels is pretty good too uh we've talked about him before though But when you when you talk about Sal Freelick, and I'm sure you got a lot of exposure to him, you know, pre-BA as well, being a Boston College guy, what what were your impressions on Sal, and you know, how has he lived up to what you thought he might be?
1: Yeah, so I um I popularized the Italian breakfast nickname for Finny Pasquatino, and and I want Sal Freelick to be known as Cousin Sal. I've been around Cousin Sal for a long time. remember seeing him actually in Lexington in high school, um, super twitchy, multi-sport athlete, was pretty well known actually as a football player as well. If you talk to some guys that played multiple sports with him in high school, they'll actually tell you that um, if it had not been for his size, if he had been 6'3", 6'4", he probably would be uh, starting at a power five uh, as a a quarterback right now. I've had four or five people legitimately tell me that. Um, really good hockey player as well. Like Sal is just a freak athlete. And I think the thing that sets him apart at, as a baseball player, and I saw a lot of him in the summer of 2020 because there wasn't much baseball other than the futures league here, him and Cody Morissette were on the same team. So I got to see him, uh, those two a lot. Um, and, you know, I think the thing with Sal is Sal played shortstop, um, played some second, I think he played third and he played uh, center field as well that summer. Um, it's, you know, he's really versatile. He's one of these guys where I feel like if he gets enough exposure at like doing anything, he'll get better at it just because of how athletic he is and how twitchy he is. But the biggest thing is his ability to adjust to a variety of pitch shapes and heights. Um, velocity isn't an issue for him. And, you know, I think the hit tool has just really been really advanced for a while. Um, if you saw him at Boston College, you know, he could lay down a bunt. He could, you know, take something in the outer half the other way. He could turn on something. He could, you know, take a breaking ball, sit back on it, knock it back up the middle. Um, kind of does a little bit. Of, does a little bit of everything, just as a hitter, and um, not a great arm defensively. But um, you know, he's really twitchy and athletic. And you know, I think if you have him in left field long term, he's probably going to be a really good left fielder. Bucket plays center field without issue, um, just because of the speed. And then when he's on base, he does a lot of the little things well. Really good heads up baseball player. But
0: I think the biggest skill there is just the bat to ball skills are probably. I mean, if you said it was a seventy, I don't think I'd argue with that. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. I mean, I've I've seen him a couple times when he was here in Zebulon for about ten minutes, and uh, I did not. I think I got his two worst games. I, he might have gone over nine or over ten when I saw him. So. I'm looking to get a fresh look here over however many, if any, games I get to go out to Durham and see, depending on what my schedule looks like. We're in, you know, a couple of 10 days from the, the deadline of the magazine. So we're trying to close a lot of things off, but, you know, probably see them a couple of times. But for now, I know what we're going to do
2: is we're going to throw to an ad and we're going to go to
0: that ad right
2: now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
0: So next on our list is you know one of our, one of my favorite prospects uh, in the system that I cover, but it's just he's just had an unfortunate run of luck, and that's Josh Young. As I wrote in the, the hot sheet uh, capsule, I think I wrote it last week too, pretty much the same thing, was when he's on the field, he hits. He's just not been on the field lately, but he's been on the field the last couple of weeks. And Jeff, what does that mean he's done? He's hit? There you go. Has, he has hit and hit and hit some more. He's got, I think it's eight home runs and sixty-six at bats between the ACL and AAA Round Rock, and it's blowing up Rangers Twitter right now. You know, looking like the an, another piece that he's got uh, the Rangers rebuilding lineup. He's before the season, we were talking about. Okay, when is this guy going to get to the big leagues? He, he might, you know, make the big leagues out of camp or shortly thereafter, and then you know, shoulder surgery happened. And now he's back and just doing what he does, just mashing over and over again. Uh, I'm, it's kind of a broken record here, but I don't know if you've ever seen Josh Young. What do you think? What are your impressions on the young man who has a look of a middle order Texas type bat?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've been a big fan of uh, Young for a while now. Um, coming out of 2020, he had made a concerted effort at the uh, alternate site to um, alter something that if you're looking at blast motion metrics, uh, you know, analyzing swings, those weird little sensors in the bottom of guy's bats that you see all over the place now. Um, there's a, 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 a particular, you know, metric called early connection and he was always a little bit behind. And if you look at Young in college, Texas Tech early on in his professional career, A lot of his power was sort of center oppo, Um, really big, strong guy, but it's just a matter of like sort of when everything connected and where, where his barrel uh, made contact. Uh, They made some adjustments uh, with that and he started to drive the ball more to his pull side. You know, we, we saw that last year when he was healthy in Frisco, you know, we're seeing it again. Now Um, once he got that swing fixed, like heading into 2021, I was all in Um, he's had unfortunate injuries. Otherwise, I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility to think this guy would be in the AL rookie of the year race right now. Had he gotten 100 plus games, Um, probably one of the reasons that he's not up now is the incentive for the Rangers to make sure that young qualifies for the 2023 rookie of the year award uh, because they get a draft pick out of it. But I think he's that kind of talent. Knowing he's going to be what 25 next year, 24, 25 next year, mm-hmm. step he should step right into a into a starting role, and it wouldn't shock me if he's a top five to six hitter in that lineup. Uh, maybe even a top three guy, just because of the contact, the power, um, plate discipline. I, I think he's one of the best hitters in the minors when he's healthy.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't I don't have any knowledge here, but I think he'd be a pretty solid candidate for the Arizona Fall League this year, just to get to keep getting more at bats under his belt. Because, like Do I it. said, we we've, we've got 66 at bats. The Seasons, eh, it's a little longer than uh, it's got about a month to go, maybe a little less, depending what on five weeks, five weeks, depending on what the, the round rock playoff situation looks like. I, I confess, I do not know what the PCL playoff situation More looks shame. like. I know, I, well, added to the long list of things for which I should be shamed, uh, it's, it's going to go back there. It's the Dead Sea Scrolls at this point. Um, but we'll move on from Josh Young, who is as pure a hitter as you'll find in the minor leagues to Mr. Electric Ellie de La Cruz, who hit three more bombs this week. Um, I think one if I remember this week was darn near 500 feet, which you know you don't see very often. It's this guy just does just about everything. He swings and misses too much, but when you get him he's hitting 300, he's, he's, he's slugging like 600. He's making all sorts of crazy plays. He's on highlight shows. He's the twitchiest guy on the planet, it seems like. He's just incredible, and I hope to, to get to see him one day. And I, you know, the fact that he's 15th on this hot sheet sp- speaks to how, well, to the person who maybe ranked them, me, and um, just how how good a week a lot of these these players have. I don't think, I think, you know, I, we've talked a lot about certain prospects on this Podcast. I just don't know. I think we've run out of superlatives for Ellie De La Cruz. Even with his, you know, subpar start in the uh, Midwest League when it was, you know, very very cold, which is a culture shock for anyone, but especially a young Latin player. He's second in the minors this year in total bases, behind only uh, the this week's number one on the hot sheet, Hunter Goodman. So, even with kind of a month head start for the field, he's almost near the top of overall total bags and is almost certainly going to get 30. He's a 30 30 stolen or 30 30 season. He's like two or three home runs away from reaching 30 30. And I understand that the rules are different this year and it's, you know, people are stealing with reckless abandon, but it's not like we're talking about a 45 runner here who's just, who's just being really smart. This is, you know, a, an antelope on the bases. And it's not like we're talking about he's playing in really hitter-friendly parks, uh, you know. It's not he's he's can hit them out of Yellowstone. <laughs> it's it's nuts what this guy can do. Uh, what are your thoughts again on Mister Electric?
1: Yeah, I think we should just switch to like automatic and just forget about Superoles. Just be like, bam,
0: crash, boom. Oh, so- so he's old timey Batman. It's, it's uh, exactly,
1: exactly with the Adam West caption, and Burt Ward, the whole nine. You know, um, yeah. I mean, he's super twitchy. Um, he's one of these guys, like Tatis or someone along those lines, where there's some unusual aggression uh, within the approach that he's he's able to make work just because of how naturally strong and gifted and, and twitchy he is. Um, So, you know, I think the thing with him is it's just his plate coverage his strength. uh, His bat to ball skills are good enough that he can just get beyond being really aggressive on a variety of pitches, you know, Um, he likes to swing it. There's a lot of guys like this and, you know, eventually they sort of, they, they rein it in a little bit and they make it work. um, And he's just, so out of this world in terms of his ability that I don't think it's going to be much of an issue long-term.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, shorts, we'll see about shortstop for long-term. Um, and there's a lot of options for him to play. And the reds notably have, I don't know, 700 shortstops in the minor leagues who are prospects at this point, they did a really good job at the deadline, adding shortstop after, shortstop after shortstop, after shortstop, after shortstop. So if he has to wind up somewhere else, it's not like he's going to, uh, uh leave a giant hole in in shortstop in Cincinnati. You've got Jose Barrero up there. You've got all sorts of really fun players in Cincinnati, either near or longer term who could uh, fill the shortstop role. And Ellie De La Cruz kind of segues really nicely into a discussion we were having on Slack earlier, which is at around the three quarter-ish to four fifths or 80% poll what does the minor league player of the year look like? And there was—I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to know the names that were bandied about in Slack: uh, Gunnar Henderson, Ellie Daly Cruz, Corbin Carroll, um, Andrew Painter. A little bit. Um, so, who, who, if you had to make a pick at this point, if you had to cast a ballot in the minor league uh, BA minor league player of the year primaries, who you who you voting for?
1: Uh, Kevin Bacon. Um, I'm, I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to cast my vote for Gunnar Henderson.
0: Fine vote, sir. And I think in, I would probably lead that way too, especially if the, the Orioles do pull the trigger and bring him up in the middle of a playoff race and have that level of confidence in him that he yeah. at, at that age, you know, can handle the left side of the infield somewhere and be enough of a playoff. Be um, enough of an offensive producer to help buoy them to maybe, maybe a wild card spot. That would be. I mean, to have him and Rutchman and Cedric Mullins and you know young guns leading the way. Stowers, Stowers. Way. Stowers, leading the way. Santander, St- Santander, yeah, leading the way uh, to a very surprising playoff berth would be a shot in the arm for charm city residents um but if not him and i don't really i didn't i came into the discussion late i i think ellie's got a really good case i laid out the total bases earlier 30 30 is nothing to sneeze at he's 20 years old and he's just straight up mashing he's certainly in my eyes the most exciting player in the minor leagues the the inside the park home run the other day hitting the ball 500 you know, making wicked plays with his arm, just doing, he's must watch anywhere, a, anytime, whether it's defense at the plate on the base pads, he's yeah. one of the most exciting players and he's producing and he's young, just like, you know, just like Gunner, he's young and he's yeah. at the upper levels of the minor leagues. He's must, must watch TV. If you are in Chattanooga or anywhere in the Southern league, uh, get you to <laughs> to see Ellie LA, La Cruz, man. He's really, really special and fun. And Cor- You can't go wrong with Corbin Carroll either. There's yeah. going to be big time debates over what effect, you know, Amarillo and Reno have had on him. And it's, it's unfair to ding the guy for the parks he has to play in. He didn't choose the affiliate maps for the Diamondbacks. He didn't make the meteorological conditions. Uh, he didn't put the dimensions in place. That I know of. I don't think he was involved in that. And it's easy to forget that he has so little pro experience because of the last two seasons with his injury and the pandemic that, you know, he, the fact that he's on the cusp of the big leagues is remarkable. So there's, there's no shortage of candidates this year. um, Throughout the minor leagues. And when we talked about painter, I mean, we all, we rarely take a picture. I think the last time we did it was Blake Snell, which turned out to be a pretty good pick, but Painter's season is fantastic, and you know, there's not a lot of innings. But I think that's probably pretty prudent on the Phillies' side, given you know uh, he's just coming out of high school. I don't know how many innings he had then in 2020. Obviously, he probably didn't have a whole lot of innings as a junior, uh, even though Florida probably got at least a little time before everything shut down. So they were they're pretty wise to be managing a talent like that very, very carefully. But if he gets to you know 100 innings this year and continues to do it, I mean, <laughs> if he allows a run the rest of the way, I mean, that, that would be kind of remarkable. So again, I'll come back and say there's at least four or five really good candidates. I feel like I'm leaving someone out. Um, I mean, Jackson Chorio, mm, probably not there just yet, although a really, really remarkable year and might be even further in the conversation had, you know, Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll and Ellie De La Cruz not existed. But in any case, yeah, that's the way we were leaning uh, in the BA Slack conversation earlier today. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left, Jeff. Any any final thoughts on on what I've just mentioned with the yeah. minor league player of the year race?
1: Yeah, I think the Gunnar versus um, Carroll debate is really interesting because i think you know there's a case i could make for carol there's a case that i can make for gunner um i think they're one and two two of the top three prospects i think that's how i had voted it initially was um gunner carol churio at at the top three might have had churio and, and carol flip but um i think when you you just you look at you know the quality of the player, the production, um, the overall skill set. They, they have similar contact skills. Carroll's contact's a little bit better. Gunner's power is better than Carroll's. Um, they're dead even in terms of chase rate. They have the same exact chase rate. Their barrel rates are almost the same. Um, it's eerily similar. Uh, and you have one center fielder, one shortstop, third baseman. I think they're both going to be pretty good defenders. So um, not a lot of debate there either. And I think really when it comes down to it, you got to look at, and I hate to say it, but you do have to look a little bit, um, the production's a little bit better for Carol. And I think that's simply a, a lot of it is because of the environments that he's playing in. Um, I do think that East Coast heavy farm systems, meaning they have affiliates in the Florida State League, the Midwest League, they have affiliates in the Carolina League, they have affiliates in the South Atlantic League, and then the Eastern League these guys tend to not get those good ballpark boosts that you see with a lot of these guys that get to play in the California league and the Texas league. And um, then the PCL, Um, you know, the Northwest league, I don't think is as nearly as Homer happy, but you know, you go into some of these other leagues and it's like, it's tough. Like when a Rockies prospect comes to Hartford, it's like the one time where he's not in like an extreme hitters ballpark, especially when they were in Nashville before that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I think you do have to factor in a little bit because I do think that East Coast guys, particularly like Baltimore, or the Yankees, the Red Sox, they are at a little bit of a, as a disadvantage just from a, a straight stat line scouting perspective. When I look at it, I like Gunner better, bigger body, more power overall. I think there's more to come in terms of the hit tool. Um, and the arm is an easy six. So. There's a lot of like top level tools there. They're both sort of five tool guys. Gunner might be a little bit more of a five tool guy. Um, All the other names you mentioned, Painter, I think, is in the conversation. Ricky Tiedemann's in the conversation. Um, You know, had Yuri not gotten injured, I think Yuri probably would be in the conversation. And the last name that I'll throw out there is the ultimate dark horse, you know, the guy that maybe gets like the the 10th place votes. Kyle Manzardo has had a tremendous season. When you look at the numbers, chase rate plus contact rate, the power is playing up a ton. And it's not just raw power he's selling out for. It's it's He has one of the highest barrel rates in the miners. When you look at 10 to 30 degree launch angles, plus 95 mile per hour barrel balls, so balls that have both that launch angle and are hit that hard, he's like 23, 24%. He's one of the leaders in the minors. Um, and the production has followed, I think, when I looked at it, he is the third highest slugging percentage among qualified hitters in the minor leagues. And the other two guys are, um, you know, uh, like massive sluggers in, in, in AAA, um, you know, non sort of prospects. So it was sort of interesting to look at it and say, all right, like this guy has this hit tool. He has this um, base ability and this great, you know, discerning eye he's really adding the power this year and he's not doing it by putting up 109, 110, 112 EVs. It's just a lot of 95 to like 104, 105 hit at the right angle. And he's, he's optimizing his contact. He's just the guy squares up at at a high rate and he compares very similarly to guys like Daniel Murphy, Joey Votto, Jose Altuve, Mike Trout, just in terms of, being able to optimize launch angles consistently and be really tight in terms of that variance, in terms of what your attack angle is to the ball. So Manzardo is a guy that, you know, not a, not a candidate necessarily, but I think when you, when you just take a look blindly at the numbers and what he's done this season, he's among the top five hitters in the minor leagues this year, just based on the numbers.
0: Well, that's a great dark horse to, uh, to close us out on. Uh, I'll mention one more dark horse, and that's Vaughn Brown. His numbers are outstanding. The thing on him is obviously going to be that he's a little older for the levels that he's been in. Even now at high A, he's 24, but you can't knock the season. He's come out of virtually nowhere to have a fantastic year. And speaking of fantastic, I think we did a great job on this podcast, but we've got two minutes and 30 seconds to go. So I'm going to wrap us up now once more for Jeff in – what state are you in, Massachusetts? That one. That one, you're in Massachusetts. We were having a good podcast until I forgot what state you were in. And I'm Josh in North Carolina saying, thank you for listening and uh, check us out at ba.com.